the prisoner's prison. That's how one person describes Forest Bank Prison, a privately run jail in Salford that reports suggest have fallen into the hands of the inmates. This is the Manchester Weekly from the Mill. Hello there, welcome to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mail with me, Daryl Morris, and in the Mill's newsroom this week, uh, Jack Dalhanty. Hello, Jack. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, sir. Yes, thank you for being with us. Um, uh, I hope you're well. Are you well? You all right? Yeah, all good. I can't remember the last time I was on here, to be fair, but it's been... um feels like a while always feels like a long time away from here you know? well you've been you've been beavering away my friend making some doing some brilliant journalism uh, you've been working on lots of interesting stuff I, I'm, later on i'm going to quiz you a little bit on uh, a couple of stories that are coming up around local elections also hospitality because i know you've been sort of needing yeah. the hospitality industry haven't you trying to yes, figure out I have. some stuff about payments and things uh, so we'll mm. come on to that in a little bit we've also got some football to chat about this week uh not to turn this into a football podcast but two stories really uh, the firstly uh rochdale uh, being relegated from the Football League, 102 years in the Football League for Rochdale, came to an end over the weekend. And of course, um, the weekend also saw the FA Cup final. Uh, the two teams decided for the FA Cup final, and it will be for the first time ever a Manchester derby. But there's a bit of controversy brewing around a ship on the crests of the Manchester clubs. So we'll get onto all of that in a little bit. We've loads to get into there, Jack. Um, firstly, shall we start in Salford? And um, a privately operated prison called Forest Bank uh, that members of the community, or if you sort of follow these things, you might know quite well. Um, and there's been some news about it this week, Jack, that is a bit concerning, really. That's right, yeah. Um, a huge report that's come from the MEN, an investigation into the kind of culture at the prison and the way that it's operating. Uh, it found that the prison, it found widespread drug use and violence on the wings, and it also found that understaffing means that around one prison car guard was being left to monitor over 100 inmates. Um, it got to such a point where family members of prisoners felt as though the guards couldn't do what was necessary to protect their relatives to the point where one father had to pay off a drug dealer inside the prison to ensure his son's safety. Um, so, yeah, it's a huge revelation about the prison uh, and it is really concerning. Wow, my goodness. Let's just on that for a moment. A father of an inmate paid off a drug dealer in the prison to keep his son safe. Yeah. Extraordinary, that, isn't it? Absolutely extraordinary. Uh, just, just tell us a bit more about Forest Bank. Who owns Forest Bank, then? And 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 who runs it? Who's responsible for this? Well, yeah, the, the management company is Sodexo. So they're basically um, contracted by the prison service to run Forest Bank as the prison service would if it was a prison service prison. So, for example, HMP, Manchester or Strange Ways, that's run by the prison service. Forest Bank is a privately run prison run by um, Sodexo. And after, the, in, in response to the investigation by the MEN, the local MP, Rebecca Long-Bailey, has come out asking for the government to in, look into this and to launch their own investigation. She today, I believe, or at least the MEN have reported it today, so from the perspective of when this will be published, this was yesterday. But her and Paul Dent have written a letter to the Justice Secretary um, asking for a, a further investigation into the prison. Right. And who, who sort of, who goes to Forest Bank Prison? How does that, that process work? It's a remand prison, I believe. So it's, unlike um, HMP Strangeways or Manchester, that's a category B slash A. So if you go in there, you go in for quite a long time. Um, and you've normally committed quite a serious crime. That's not to say that someone who's committed a serious crime couldn't 
be on the wings in Forest Bank, though, which is exactly what some of the sources talk about in the story in the MEN, which is sort of like there is, I think one of the quotes that I remember I'm paraphrasing was that there are serious people here and it's, it's a very stressful existence for people on the sort of, it's always, I've been looking into prisons for a while and what you will often find is, is that you'll have the sort of um, addiction wing. So that would be where uh, drug addicts will go to go into recovery and stuff like that. And those are often quite a bit more relaxed and easy to manage. But then you'll have general population, which is where the remainder of the prison is. And those are always more difficult to keep control of. I remember I spoke to an ex-prisoner once um, who'd been in strange ways, who described general population to me as just like the microcosm of his old estate. So it was all the people who he already knew were criminals. He described it almost like it was like the real world, but if you took all of the non-criminals out of it, which I know like when you think about it, it's like, well, yeah, that's obviously what a prison is. But from the perspective of, <laughs> when you think of it as someone from the perspective of if you're going into a place and you're like, hang on, I knew, I know everyone here now. And I, and I knew them all, I knew a lot of them before I came in. Mm. And the only thing that was keeping me away from them on the outside was all of the sort of, normal shall we say people the non-criminal people between us and now we're all right up against each other so that's to give an impression of what general population is like funnily enough as well in a lot of those conversations people mentioned to me how strange ways is what's called a screws prison which is to say the screws or the prison guards they're sort of in control and forest bank has been known amongst like the ex-prisoner community to be a prisoner's prison so one that is run by the prisoners and this investigation from the MEN does kind of confirm that point. Wow, that's good. That's incredible, isn't it? Blimey. Wow. And, and I suppose it, it kind of just, you kind of, I mean, I suppose this is the issue with prison generally, isn't it, as a punishment or as a rehabilitation tool is when you think about them, you think about prisoners going into somewhere like Forest Bank that's kind of being run by the prisons. It's a reflection of the estate they've just come from. They know everybody in there. I mean, what does that tell you about the prospects of a, it being a punishment, but also them being re- rehabilitated enough that when they come out of prison they can integrate back into society as a you know as a with with a sense of sort of civic responsibility that the rest of us have um incredible yeah, of course mm, yeah all right well we'll follow that story because i think there'll be there'll be more to come i guess and and uh, an investigation uh, has been requested so uh, we'll see what happens and, uh, and hats off to the men uh, for that investigation Let's talk about property in Manchester, shall we, Jack? Because one in three people in Manchester now live in a private rented sector, private rented accommodation. Is that right? Yeah, so this is according to new research from Lomond, which is a property group. And it also found that there's been uh, an 11%, this won't surprise anyone really, an 11% year-on-year increase in house prices in the city. And that, to quote their research, significantly outperforms the national average of seven percent and we made this point in the newsletter as well which is um you know that's great news if you're on the property ladder it's quite uh despairing news if you aren't and it's a similar look at um rent increases as well uh that the demand in manchester continues to outstrip supply to the point that well again to quote lament it has supported a 15 percent uplift in rents over the last 12 months alone and i think like it's always interesting i was on um Anna Jameson show the other day talking about this when you get these press releases that land in the email kind of like hey like isn't this great news look at how great it is to own a property in Manchester right now you can make so much money and like from my perspective of someone who like still lives at home doesn't really expect to buy a house in the next ever next eternity or so I'm just kind of like (laughs) oh man like whenever you see things like that it's just like yeah 
there it is again. And at a time of, you know, stagnant wages, it really is. It, I, of course, I, I, it's a great reflection of the city's progression and the way that it's um, growing and developing. But then equally, at the time that we're having at the moment, it is, for a lot of people, quite tragic. Mm. There's also some other interesting data here, isn't there, about uh, what, what, about, about loyalty, particularly city centre um, uh, renters, and I guess what they're looking for and, and, and their loyalty to the location. Oh yeah, that was right. So the with over well, half of the renters in the city are moving less than five mi- five miles from the previous address when they do move. But then when I think how how fast five miles really in great in Manchester city centre, that's quite. If you were in like Ancoats, five miles down the road is nearly out of. It's definitely out of the city centre, isn't it? Um. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I don't know. I'm trying to work that out, man. Can we actually work that out now, live? I don't know. I mean, it's question. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because because I, I it's funny because I was I was speaking to um I was I was on the phone to a student last week who was uh, I was giving some advice to, and they were from London, from down south, and they were a student in Manchester. They're a media student in Manchester. And she was saying, and I said, I watched, watched your plan. She said, I'm, I'm probably going to have to go back to London, but I was really looking to try and find a way to stay in Manchester. And she said that the, the, the vast majority of people on her course who've come from outside of Manchester are staying in Manchester. And it sort of reminded me of, I mean, it's a good 10 years ago now, but it reminded me of my ex-partner who was a student in Manchester from Berkshire. And we met while she was a student in Manchester and she stayed and a whole host of her friends stayed. And this sort of, this sort of, this kind of, knacker at finding a way of retaining people i don't know what the, the stats tell us jack but the idea of i i i, I there, there are very few people it seems moving away from manchester if you've come from outside manchester and you come to greater manchester you tend to stay yeah i don't know what the stats are there but i could imagine that that has to be something to do with so many people come to manchester to come to uni because we're such a big university city and having that sort of formative experience in a place does sort of create a real connection to it that will make you more likely to stay than if you would just move there randomly right yeah and the, there's some data on that as well right because um uh, the, the uk's third best student city according to this data is that right yeah the the uh, over the last five years the number of students studying in manchester has increased 20 percent um with the proportion living in outside accommodation not sure what that means. Increasing by thirty-one <laughs> percent. Well, is that away, away from student halls? Oh yeah, of course. God, see, this is what happens when you live at home. You never <laughs> find out what any of this stuff means. Oh man, you, you no. just uh, I'm just a coddled child. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> oh no, mate. No, no, no. Um, well, okay. Well, there's some some issues to fix there. Not least for you, Jack. Uh, uh, for your yeah. sake. For yeah, me specifically, we should yeah, fix absolutely. it. Uh, no, absolutely. We really genuinely should. Uh, okay, uh, interesting stuff that. Um, uh, and the FA Cup final is on the horizon, Jack. We have the FA Cup semi-final. Just before we get on to the, um, the FA Cup final, what's your take on the semi-finals being played at Wembley? Pretty much all bar one northern club. Four, four, three of the four were northern clubs uh, dragged down to Wembley that, that didn't even nearly sell out. I mean, that must have been a hassle. I'm <laughs> not a not a football fan, Daryl, but I'm guessing that what you're hinting at is that people should have come up here. Well, I think if if Sheffield and uh, uh, United and Manchester City are playing each other, tracking you know two northern clubs down to London to play at Wembley just seems mad to me. Andy yeah, Burnham plus all the fans. 
Yeah, exactly, absolutely. Well, no, I mean, particularly fans, I mean, I'm not, I'm not worried about the clubs. Yeah, I was about to say. I think City can afford to take their players to Wembley. I don't think that's too much of an issue for them. Uh, it's more the working class fans of the football clubs who are dragging themselves down to, to London and all the, all the cost and accommodation and stuff. Anyway, uh, we're going to have to do it again, unfortunately, if you want to go mm. again, because the final uh, at Wembley will be between Manchester United and Manchester City. The first time ever that there's been a Manchester derby uh, in the FA Cup final, which is pretty exciting. Um, however, Jack, uh, there has been some conversation in the last couple of days about the ship that appears on both Manchester United and Manchester City's uh, uh, crest, right? Um, take us into this. What, what, what is that? I mean, I suppose uh, no prizes for guessing what it's about, but, but what, what, are, what, you know, what does that ship on the crest of those clubs symbolise? Well, the ship on the crest of those badges and also on the um, Manchester City Council crest is a three-masted ship which is meant to symbolize trade. Um, The reason that it has, over the last few, well, about exactly a week from when we're recording this, uh, has become the subject of debate is because The Guardian published an article um, which made a link between the ship and Manchester's history of slavery. Um, To quote the author of the article, Hattonstone, you know, while he admits, obviously, that the ship does symbolize trade but he said that that trade is umbilically linked to enslaved labor and this is all part of you will have already talked about it on the podcast i think with yoshi the cotton capital project that the guardian are kind of embarking on looking at their own history of, of slavery and also looking at the history of slavery um and its links to manchester which is obviously where the guardian was founded and the the sort of argument that hattonston makes is that the three-masted ship from these crests should be taken off and replaced with the with the B symbol, which he probably which he feels is um, kind of a better alternative and more representative of the city now. Um, but it has caused quite a furore with a lot of people basically saying, you know, don't don't remove it. Mm. I'm trying. I'm, I'm try- as is often the case in these these situations, Jack. I find myself trying to peel away the culture war bits. You know, the people who like to be outraged about this sort of stuff and try to find the genuine arguments. One of them, the sort of pushback to that has come from Jonathan Schofield. He's a local historian, a well-known guy in the city, really. Um, And he says that this idea, the idea of removing this ship is wrong. Why? What's uh, what's Jonathan Schofield's take? Well, he makes the... He's not very culture warrior, I think. You You know what I mean? You know what I'm getting at? He's not a right-wing provocateur, is he, Jonathan Schofield? I wouldn't he? say so. I mean, he's a local no. historian, and he makes the yeah. point that on all of his tours, he points out the buildings and the areas that do link back to um, Manchester's slave history. I think his exactly. argument is is trying to make the point that, you know, the, you know, we have been doing this stuff in the city in terms of tours. I, I don't know if it's... For some people, I don't know how much of a satisfactory argument that would be. Um, he also makes the point that there's a, I mean, I I don't know the exact history, so I won't try and recount all of it, but there's a lot of, um, to and fro and about when the ships were put on the crests, how long after slavery being abolished that was. But I mean, the Hattonston argument that that three mass ship being linked to trade and our understanding of trade being undeniably linked to enslaved labor because of 400 years of slavery I mean, I, I certainly agree with that. Whether or not it's 
cause to remove it from these from these crests I, I, again that's the kind of key debate I, I couldn't myself really formulate an opinion right now <laughs> no and i think also, i think we know we're two we're two uh you know white guys here right having this uh, having this conversation mm. so i think it's important to hear the voices of those people uh, who are perhaps more directly affected by this issue and uh, the guardian received an email didn't it from uh, a jamaican diaspora uh, what, 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 and, and, and also there was there was I thought another letter I think um, about the, the connection to the UAE. Uh, so what what were what was the sort of wider response to this? Yeah, and you are right there that this is really a matter of perspective. And um, the letter that the Guardian received from a reader from the Jamaican diaspora um, talked about how their ancestors were screaming for justice. That's a quote, and that they are mocked by the very tools of the trade that decimated the African population, the, the tools in that context being the ships. Mm. And you are right there when you mention UAE and the kind of current situation, a, a really good letter that was sent into the Guardian by a woman from Didsbury, Catherine Fletcher, pointed out that while um, reckoning with our links to slavery is important and welcome, Manchester might also want to consider its growing connections to the United Arab Emirates where human rights abuses remain rife and obviously they own um, Manchester City. They had a huge part in the development of Ancoats and New Islington. And in a few, well, actually, I don't know how long the Manchester United uh, sale will take. I don't think anyone does at the minute. But if that is bought by the Qatar bidders, that's another um, a similar relationship there in, in a place where, you know, human rights abuses kind of cast a long shadow. Mm, yeah, very much so. There's a couple of interesting comments in the um, in, on this piece that, that uh, when it was written up in the mill, uh, wasn't there, Jack? Um, Chris Barry says, the ship is a symbol of free trade, he says, not cotton trade and slavery. Manchester should not engage in a similar act of self-flagellation. And he says, um, uh, somebody uh, somebody here called Archangel says, I was raised as a, uh, as a Mancunian to believe that the ships on the crest of Manchester was one, a one-fingered gesture towards Liverpool's rival commercial interests as a port they say so that's a different uh, interpretation yeah because um, obviously a lot a lot of people felt that the ship was actually in relation to manchester ship canal yeah and manchester ship canal was a big middle finger to the to liverpool mm, in yeah. terms of trade yeah absolutely um uh and uh yeah i mean i guess uh, uh mohammed amin says the ship should stay it's a symbol of trade generally rather than uh, slavery specifically they say so yeah a bit of a bit of pushback to that but but one thing that that's that's for certain though is is that the you know manchester having this moment of reckoning with its past and with its connections to the slave trade and how much of this great city that we all enjoy the fruits of now were built on the backs of people who were slaves um and how much we should recognise that, and then there's other conversations are supposed to be had about about uh, about sort of reparations and payments and things. That's not going away, and, and I, I think Jack is it fair to, to conclude that it's, that it's good actually. You know that 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 it's right for us to fully understand the full context of our history. Yeah, I've, I've well, this is obviously on a personal level. I've, I've never felt that there can be anything wrong with having a more comprehensive sort of comprehensive understanding of history generally. Um, so it's a sort of controversial statement that is it really thanks yeah um <laughs> to look at it uh warts and all is definitely the right way to do it it's the, it's the key way of understanding how we reach these points where we are today i think it's yeah it's a necessary thing yeah okay all right um very interesting that debate will rumble on with plenty more to unpick i think from from that as well won't there um as those um those reviews into our history continue all right, a um, couple of other bits and bobs to get through uh, before our time together is up, Jack. Take me to the station master's house. It's a pretty iconic building, isn't it, uh, in, uh, in in Manchester? What's happening to this? 
Yeah, so on um, Liverpool Road, it was built in, I think it was 1808. It's a grade one listed building owned by the Science and Industry Museum. And it used to be the home of the old station master. This was for the station that was built in like 1830. Uh, it hasn't been lived station, in. Isn't it? Is it the first, uh, the first, the first, the first railway station in Britain? Yeah, right? first intercity. One of the first intercity railways in the world, I want to say. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, do it. Why not? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, wouldn't it have been, it would have been the first locomotive that went on it. What's its name? It's in the Science and Industry Museum. Anyway, um, <laughs> the current news on it is that that railway master's house is going to be a holiday let as part of this kind of big restorative um, development by the Science and Industry Museum in partnership with the Landmark Trust, which is a charity. Um, and it's part of a sort of project to make more of its properties and spaces more accessible to the public. So that'd be really cool. And I could imagine that's going to be like the most popular, pretty popular Airbnb slash holiday let there. Yeah. Presumably that's just going to be the reserve of people who can afford, quite wealthy people who can afford it, right? And really like old railways. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> bit of an odd one, that to me. Um, anyway, okay, uh, fine. Um, uh, elsewhere in football news, um, Rochdale have dropped out of the Football League, Jack, for the first time in 102 years. Uh, this is bad. This is really, really bad. Yeah, well, I'm right in saying that they were beat by Stockport, right? And then they were relegated. I mean, I feel like I should be asking you about this. You're the, the, you're the football guy. <laughs> well, I, I mean, okay, fair enough. I mean, it's part of, look, okay, cl- clearly the first thing to say is just it's just really sad for the fans and for those people who are associated with Rochdale. Uh, you know, there is a lot that comes with playing league football, a lot of money, a lot of prestige, uh, you know, better standard of football. You don't want to be falling down the leagues, do you? Um, and, it, and it will put the club in jeopardy. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You know, hopefully it can ride it out and 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 you know, uh, uh, you know, assault, you know, launch launch some something of a comeback perhaps next season and try to get promoted again. It's a very hard league to get out of the non-league uh, thing. That that's the football side of it. But obviously there is something. You know, it's not good for the town, um, and it's also part of a bigger story that we've been talking about a lot over the last couple of years, which is the real sharp end and the rough and tumble of the football pyramid in Greater Manchester, not just generally. I mean, it is a story that kind of, that does sort of find its way across the country. Um, and, that you know, there, 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 there has been a bit of a reckoning in, in recent years about how much money is trickling down or not from the Premier League through to the lower leagues and retaining the value of the, the, the lower leagues. But in particular in Greater Manchester, where we have seen Oldham run into trouble, my Bolton Wanderers have, have run into trouble, although sort of very much bounced back. You know, Berry went under and were lost. Macclesfield, the same thing happened to. Wigan uh, are teetering back on the brink of administration now after having some more turbulent, you know, after having turbulence. And especially in an area, I think Greater Manchester is an area that epitomises the, the, um, the inconsistencies in the sort of inequalities, shall we say, in the football pyramid, and that it has, you know, two of the biggest clubs in the world, uh, one of the richest clubs in the world, in Manchester City and Manchester United, and also has Bury, Bolton, Rochdale, Oldham, and Wigan, who are constantly fighting for their life, fighting to exist, and and how important they are for the town, the towns that they are based in, um, and so I think it's. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a, a big moment this that that really speaks to that problem that f- not just football has but that Greater Manchester has. Um I think as well as as I say just being very very sad. 
So, yeah, uh, I thought so with Rochdale for sure. By the way, also worth me pointing to a really fascinating piece in The Mill uh, about Rochdale's ownership. And a couple of, I think it's about perhaps, perhaps, maybe over a year ago now, so you might have to scroll back through the archive a little bit. Uh, but there was a really interesting insight into how uh, the club was poised to be sold to some private owners um, and some and a group of fan owners came together uh, and sort of orchestrated an effort to stop that happening. Um, really interesting to keep it in, in, in the, the hands of uh, fans. And you can so you can read more about that. Manchestermill.co.uk is the link that you need for it. Um, and let's move us on to some better news, Jack, because um, uh, and taking us back to the FA Cup final as well. Who is Martin Hibbert and why is he in the news this week? Yeah, so Martin Hibbert is one of the survivors of the 2017 um, arena attack. And he's keeping a promise to one of the paramedics who helped save his life by taking him to watch Manchester United at the FA Cup final. Um, They met up in 2018 at a fundraising event and have kind of had this really quite lovely sounding, blossoming friendship since. And he made the promise to him that if United ever got into the FA Cup final, they would go together. Um, They went to the semi-final as well, I think, uh, and they said that was great and now they're going to be going back down to London, to Wembley, um, to watch the final as well. So that was a nice piece of news to come out of that. Lovely, excellent. And a nice place for us to end um, this week. Just briefly, Jack, take us into the newsroom because you're working on something regarding uh, hospitality at the moment. Um, How's that going? Yeah, it's not going too bad. I've I've got two sort of hospitality-adjacent things. So one of them is... I often write about hospitality, as you know, me and Molly have done a few pieces. We did that one about Freight Island earlier this year. I've done some um, last year too. And the similar, well, we always seem to encounter the same problem of people talking about not being paid and for reasons that are varied and often quite confusing. And it was something we wanted to try and draw a through line through to understand like how is this so prevalent in the hospitality industry when you wouldn't expect it in any other um, and then the other one that I'm doing is a bit more lighthearted. I'm writing about chicken shops. Um, Manchester has, as if I don't know if you know, but they have some of the best chicken shops in the country, apparently. Right. They go viral all over TikTok. I don't know if anyone watches like TikTok food reviewers now, but they're like a very popular thing. Uh, millions of views. They all go to this one called Miami Crispy and Burn. It's literally people come from all over the country just to eat like one chicken burger. People talk about meeting people in the queue from Australia. Because it's like, it, they're like, oh yeah, I just needed to try it. I'm like, what on earth is going on? But the reason I was interested is because each chicken shop has its own secret recipe that they won't, like the owners don't even tell their wives the recipe or anything like that. And there is like, apparently like these small bidding wars where people are trying to pay like 50 grand for the recipe so that they can open their own place or a franchise of another place or trying to bribe one another to leak recipes to each other. Um, so that's what I've been looking into the past few days. How um, interesting is that? Yeah, it is really fun. Uh, Mill.co.uk is where you go uh, to subscribe to get those stories when they are cooked and ready, uh, fried like chicken, uh, into <laughs> your inbox. Mill.co.uk. We also like to give a couple of nods as ever, Jack, for some things to do around Greater Manchester the next couple of days. So what should we be doing? Yeah, so this weekend is um, Sounds from the Other City Festival, which is like a big multi-venue festival in Salford where you'll be able to see like a bunch of live acts, DJ sets and arts performances at a... God, so many different venues around Salford, the Old Pine Pot, the Next Oxford, uh, Regent Trade in the State, St. Philip's Church, you name it. If it's in Salford, it is probably hosting someone for this festival. And it's on Bank Holiday Sunday from 3 p.m. through till late. 
Um, so yeah, that's always a really good one. Molly's been a few times and says it's great. Excellent. Uh, my nod is also for this Sunday as well, so we're going to be competing. We're head to head in in our uh, competition. Um, uh, and while we've been talking about sort of reassessing our history, uh, the rest is history podcast, which is one of my favourites, uh, is a, is coming to the Larrys in a live show. Uh, and this is Tom Holland and Dominic Sandbrook, who are two kind of uh, leading historians, and they interrogate the past uh, and attempt to sort of detangle it and tell uh, you know understand what it, um, it tells us about the present. Uh, they take some subjects that can be kind of slightly dry and boring, and it's very humorous and it's fun and really accessible and just uh, barnstormingly interesting. It really is. Um, they question the nature of greatness uh, and why the, the why the West no longer has civil wars. That's a line from the um, from the promo, um, which both sound very interesting, don't they? Uh, they're at the Lowry on Sunday, the thirtieth. There's still a couple of tickets left, uh, so if you fancy it, uh, that's at the Lowry. The rest is history podcast live on sunday uh, don't forget as well you can subscribe to uh, more quality journalism to get that direct to your inbox manchestermill.co.uk is where you do that and we're back in your podcast feed next week so like and subscribe you'll get a nudge as soon as we land next thursday but for now jack my friend thank you thanks see you next week <laughs>